But we're going to pick up talking about eternal redemption tonight in the light of spirit, soul, and body. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. What a faith scripture. What a scripture to, to release your faith in every day. One version says that your body is preserved whole and intact. In other words, you got all your parts. Nothing's missing. You need to make up your mind right now. You may have already lost some. I've already lost some. But when I read this scripture, I made up my mind I was going to keep all the rest of them. Amen. Amen. But I lost the others when I was ignorant, didn't know any better. The very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body be preserved blameless. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So release your faith in that scripture. But here's the point. You are a three-part being. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, and you live in a body. Amen. And most people give all of their attention to the body, to the flesh, to this temporal earth suit that we wear. And they give all their attention to that, hardly even aware that their spirit is even there. And you know, like one preacher said, most people feed their bodies three square meals a day and give their spirit one cold snack a week. Hallelujah. Isn't that the truth? It's the truth, isn't it? Turn to Romans chapter 7, verse 18. And look at this talking about... In light of spirit, soul, and body, look at this. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Paul said, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, and our flesh being not just your body, but consisting of your body and your soul, your flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So the good that's in us is not in our flesh. You know, our flesh, we have to constantly dominate our flesh. And we're supposed to use our spirit man to dominate our flesh. If you ever let up one minute, your flesh will just go over and start doing wrong. I mean, sometimes we get to thinking and we get misled. And we get to thinking... Because we've been living righteously and walking uprightly and, and we've been living a, a holy life and we've been having communion with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen people do this, that after a while they'll get to thinking, man, I've grown, I've matured, I, I've gotten kind of, you know, I'm strong. And they'll let up on dominating their flesh. Boy, that flesh, you let up on it for one minute. And that's what happens to preachers a lot of times. They slide, they slip back, and they end up with, uh, with a prostitute or something like that. Why? They let up on the flesh for just for a little bit. And you let your flesh have any rope. You know, somebody like people say, give it an inch, it'll take a mile. You let your flesh have any rope concerning dominating it with your spirit. Your flesh doesn't have any good thing in it. Don't be fooled. Your flesh doesn't have any good thing. You say, well, I could never go commit adultery. Don't let up on it because your flesh will go there. Well, I could never go like that preacher did to the prostitute. Or Don't let up on it. Don't let up on your flesh. If you ever stop dominating it, it'll go to sin. If you ever don't stop for one minute, that's why it's important to stay in the Word, stay in prayer, stay in church, stay with the holy saints. That's why it's important. You can't go hang around with the world for a season because your flesh will start leaning that way. 
Your flesh will start leaning over that way. That's why you can't afford to mess around with any sin of any kind. You can't afford to go on the internet and just see, well, I just think I need to be informed about what's on there. No, we're supposed to be innocent concerning evil. We're not supposed to be informed concerning evil. We're supposed to be innocent. We're supposed to keep ourselves innocent. So you can't let your flesh have any rope. And people get uh, bound. You know how you get bound by a devil? How that woman, that psychic, got bound by a devil is you yield once. And that didn't do much, but you yielded and you went there, whether it be pornography or whatever. And then you yield one more time and you went there. See, and then it's got a hook in it, and pretty soon you yield another time. And if you just keep yielding to that, then pretty soon you've got a stronghold. You've got a demon operating. And then you can't stop without an an anointing, yoke-destroying. It's going to take the power of God to release you. In other words, you can't just quit. Sometimes we think, well, why don't they just quit smoking? Why don't they just quit drinking? They don't because they can't. Some people just have an addiction, but some people got a stronghold. Some people just have a habit, and some people have a stronghold. You know people, and I do too, that have just said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore and lay the cigarettes down. And then you know people that have tried and 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 they really want to. I mean, they really want to. They hadn't gotten free from it. Well, the anointing has to destroy that yoke. Amen. They need to just keep seeking God and they'll be free. He'll set them free. Amen. But in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. And it's important that we remember that. Hallelujah. So don't give your flesh an inch. We say we'd never backslide. We'd never quit going to church. Well, just quit for you know a little while and you'll see your flesh will be pulling you another direction. We have to be on guard concerning our flesh all the time. We've talked about last week several things that people get saved and they feel like a brand new person and then they mess up and they feel condemned and then they feel like, well, maybe I didn't get saved and they feel like they're lost and maybe their church preaches to them that they're lost. We wanted to talk about that. And we talked about how you get confused if you're looking for all the change in your life to take place in the physical realm because the physical realm doesn't always change quickly. You know, sometimes the physical realm, it takes the renewed mind for your physical realm to begin to be changed after you're saved. You have to begin to renew your mind. Um, But the change in your spirit is already complete. Did you know your spirit man looks exactly like it's going to look for all eternity? You're as holy as you're ever going to get. You're as righteous as you're ever going to get in your spirit. Now, we can live better lives as we dominate as the Spirit dominates the flesh, we can live better lives, we can do more, uh, more things for God, and we can live more righteously. But your righteousness is not dependent upon your works. Your righteousness depends upon the condition of your spirit. And if you're born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And so we have to renew our mind to that. If we don't renew our mind to the fact that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we're as holy as we're ever going to get, then we'll live below our privileges. We won't be able to come boldly to the throne of grace. We'll come some days boldly when we feel like we did good. And then on the day, you know, have you ever had one of those days when you, you couldn't, you, you, you tried to pray, but you couldn't pray? I mean, you just didn't get it done. The phone rang, the washer ran over. Well, I didn't get to pray that day. And, you know, you just feel like you're a mess all day. But the truth is, you're just as righteous. You're just as holy. You're just as powerful. You're just as anointed. Amen. And you have to renew your mind. Or did you ever have a day when you came, you that are husbands and wives, you've had this, where you fought all the way to church. 
got in an argument and fought on the way to church. Boy, you feel unholy. Feel feel unholy, unrighteous, unworthy. How could God ever use me? Oh, I'm going to have to get up there and teach children's church. And here we were. Man, we was yelling at each other. And you say, how could I do that? You've got to understand you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're as righteous as you're ever going to be. Now, that don't mean you don't need to repent and ask your wife to forgive you. But what it does mean is if you don't have time to repent, just go ahead and preach anyway. Amen. Amen. I mean, if she stomped out of the car and went in the back door of the church and you don't even know where she's at in the building and you can't repent, well, hallelujah, just go ahead and preach anyway and just go ahead and be powerful. Yes, and me and Pastor have had to do it several times. <laughs> hallelujah. Just several times. You know, and there were times that we could have repented and we didn't even want to. You know, you just didn't want to. And so we just had to preach anyway. Amen. Well, now I like it better when it's not that way. And praise God, we endeavor to not have strife. We set our faith, and there's been many times we just we were driving over here. We just said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's don't talk about that right now," because you could just tell it was gonna it was going the wrong direction. You know, let's just put that on hold. Let's don't talk about it. The fact is, you are as righteous and as holy as you're ever gonna be. Amen. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. There's been a divine exchange. And God sees you righteous because God is a spirit. He's not looking at your flesh. If he looked at your flesh, he couldn't find anything good, folks. Even on the day you think you've been really good, you don't meet God's standard. You do not match God's standard for holiness. So you can't do it in the flesh. So we never approach God based on the flesh or our soul. It'll keep us out of the throne room of grace. It will. If the devil can't keep you getting saved, then what he wants to do is keep you a condemned Christian. Amen. He wants to keep you under condemnation, and I guarantee you he's got plenty of ammo. He's got plenty of things to throw at you. If he can't make you feel guilty and condemned for anything, he'll make you feel guilty because you didn't go visit your mother that day and she wanted you to. And you did something, you know. He'll find something like that and he'll put you under condemnation, make you feel bad because he wants to keep you from being bold. He wants you to keep you from, keep you from walking on his head. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so uh, <clears throat> we will never totally please God in our actions or in our thoughts. Now that's our goal. But we don't do it to be righteous. We don't do it to earn anything. We do it because we love him. Because we love God and because we know that the righteous pathway is a pathway of blessing, that it's a pathway of peace, that it's a pathway with no trouble on it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the pathway of sin has trouble on it. Just look out here at the world and look at all the troubles they've got. And the pathway of sin leads to trouble. We talked about last week how you've been sealed. That when you got born again, you were sealed by the Holy Ghost. Amen? And we found that in three scriptures, Ephesians 1.13, 2 Corinthians 1.22, and Ephesians 4.30, if you weren't here. We've also found out in 1 John 4.17 that as He is, so are we in this world. Now let's look over at that scripture, 1 John 4, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment... Because as He is, so are we in this world. Well, the whole book of 1 John, you've got to have an understanding of spirit, soul, and body to understand the book of 1 John. I was years confused about 1 John. 
It's like, God, I just don't get this. I don't see what you're talking about. Because I would read one part of 1 John, it, it talks about if you say you don't sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. But then it goes over and says, if we are born of God, we don't sin. And I'd be like, I'm, I'm just confused, God. And I just was confused and because I didn't know anything about spirit, soul, and body. Even after I learned that we had three parts, spirit, soul, and body, I didn't know God was dealing with us according to those three different parts. And so this is one of those scriptures that if you don't understand it according to spirit, soul, and body, you don't really understand it. Because he's talking about as he is, so are we in this world. He's talking about our spirit, man. We can all tell you're not like Jesus in your flesh. I can tell and you can tell I'm not like Jesus completely in my flesh. That's my goal. That's what I'm trying to be. That's where I want to be. And he's perfecting that which concerneth me and you. Amen. He's perfecting that which concerneth us. And we are becoming in our flesh more Christ-like and in our soul as we submit ourselves to the Word and we are doers of the Word. We are becoming more Christ-like, but as He is, so are we in this world is in our spirit. I tell you, your spirit looks just like Jesus. You have everything in your spirit He had. Amen. You've been cut out of the same cookie cutter. Glory to God. And so, and you were sealed. We need to talk about sin. We talked about last week how when a Christian sins, that that rottenness, the defilement, does not penetrate the spirit man. Here's the spirit man of a Christian. And when the man sins, he sins in the flesh. It does not penetrate his spirit man. Because why? Because he's been sealed by the Holy Ghost. He's got a seal on him and so his spirit remains perfect, intact. And so he does not lose his salvation. However, he will have trouble in the flesh. Sin, we got to understand sin. Sin is not just doing wrong, violating commandments. But sin is also what you should have done but didn't. James 4.17 says, Who them doeth do right and doeth it not, for him it is sin. And so we know we all, we all fall under that sometimes. You know you'll never be perfect in your own self. Your spirit's been encased and sealed. When you sin, your spirit does not participate. This is not an excuse to go ahead and sin. 1 John 3, 9, go over there. And this is one of those scriptures I talked about a while ago where I said I was mixed up before I understood spirit, soul, and body. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now this has brought the church under confusion. And if we just get real honest, we'd have to say, there's got to be some more revelation to this scripture than what it appears. Because this says that every person that's born again does not sin, does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. It says that if you're a Christian, you cannot sin. Because he is born of God. Well, the traditional church has taken this scripture and said, well, you sinned. You must not have been born again. And so come up here and let's try again, see if we can get you born again. And then you go off next week and, man, you sinned. Well, okay, come back up here if you sinned because if you sinned, you cannot be born of God. So we need to get you reborn again. And so some people just wore the carpet out. Anyway, we don't wear our carpet aisles out getting people reborn again. Amen. Why? Because you don't need to get reborn again again. Now you may need to pray and ask God to forgive you. And you may need to recommit your life to Him. I'm talking about recommit that I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you, God. I'm going to do what's right. You may need to pray the prayer of a commitment again, but you don't need to be born again again. This scripture is not talking about all of you. It's talking about your spirit, man. 
once you understand spirit, soul, and body, you understand this scripture, 1 John 3, 9. It says, whosoever is born of God, this man right here. If you think about it, this is the only part that's born of God. So it's got to be talking about the spirit, man. Can't be talking about your flesh. Can't be talking about your soul. Your soul's not been born of God. Your body's not been born of God yet. But this man's been born of God, and that man does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. This man cannot sin because he is born of God. Hallelujah. Boy, I tell you, that's good, don't you think? There's only two possible interpretations. That's one of them. I gave it to you. The other interpretation that sometimes people put a little spin on this is the Amplified Bible, what it says. This says in Amplified, does not habitually... Did y'all ever read the Amplified Version where it says, He that is born of God does not habitually commit sin. But if you think about that and you meditate on it a little, you'll see that that couldn't possibly be what it's talking about there is because we all habitually sin. Because habitually failing to walk in love is sin. In order to interpret it habitually does not habitually commit sin, you have to just relegate that scripture over to the big sins. Does not habitually lie, does not habitually steal, does not habitually commit adultery. But you couldn't put that over on just everyday living sins because we habitually fail to walk in love. And so we're all habitual sinners in that sense. We're endeavoring to walk in love, but all of us fail at that on a regular basis. Habitually would be, I'd say, eight to ten times in a month. If, if you habitually fail to walk in love eight to ten times in a month, you're a habitual sinner. And I know that we all habitually say something we shouldn't have said about somebody, put somebody in a bad light, spread a little rumor that we heard, react wrong to somebody, put ourselves above somebody. Well, I know we've all done that eight to ten times in the past 30 days. We probably did it eight to ten times today, some of us. Amen. <laughs> Habitually failing to be kind would be sin because we know the Bible says, be ye kind one to another. And you know, you can't be married and not habitually sin, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it says in 1 Corinthians, if you marry, you'll have trouble in the flesh. Part of the trouble is, you know, you're setting yourself up to have to walk a faith walk of being kind. Amen? Habitually failing to study the Word. Now, we're not to dwell on this and become sin conscious. God doesn't want us to dwell on this, but if we just get real honest, it can't be talking about habitual sin there. That you're only not born of God if you habitually sin. That can't be right. To be lazy is a habitual sin. The Bible says you'll get up early in the morning and seek Him. Proverbs 31, women, you'll rise while it is yet night. That means it's while it's still dark, folks. Oh my. Well, we could all fall a little short, couldn't we, of some of these things. I personally just don't even believe in rising while it's yet night. I hold my finger over that scripture. <laughs> I like it to be daylight. <laughs> I like it to be daylight. I'd rather get up in the middle of the night and pray an hour and then go back to sleep and sleep till it's daylight. So uh, it can't be talking about that. But I'll tell you something about habitual sin. Any habitual sin tells us four things. First of all, Habitual sin, whether it's habitually lying, habitually stealing, habitually 
failing to read the word habitually tells us that we have an unrenewed mind in that area. Habitual sin tells us we don't know who we are in Christ. Somebody that's habitually always out sinning and they're a Christian, they do not know who they are in Christ. Habitually sinning means we're in danger of judgment. If we don't judge ourselves in that, we will be judged. And habitual sin says we'll reap what we sow. When you have children, folks, you got to get up early before they get up and pray. Mine are gone. I don't have to do that. I can pray for them at 9 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock. But when I used to have to go to work, you have to get up in the morning. And if you don't do that, you're going to reap something you didn't want to. Anytime you have child problems, you've got a prayer situation there. That's what you've got is a prayer situation. So habitual sin. And the only way to interpret this is that the part of you that is born of God, in your spirit, you cannot sin. Turn to Ephesians 4.24. Let's look at another scripture. Paul said in Ephesians 4.24, he says, And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he's talking about the spirit man again. He, that spirit man, he says, is created in righteousness and true holiness. He said, put on the new man. This is the new man. You put him on. Well, what do you have to put him on? You've got to put him on the soul. And you've got to put the new man on the body. In other words, you've got to dominate the soul. You've got to dominate the body. And we're all endeavoring to do that, aren't we? More and more, we're dominating. You have to train. You say, I can't pray an hour. Well, you train yourself to is how you do it. And you may not start with an hour. You may start by praying in tongues five minutes. And you may think, my Lord, that's the longest five minutes I ever spent. And you start and you pray five minutes. And then you might do that two or three days. And then you pray in tongues ten minutes. I mean, you literally look at the clock and say, okay, it's ten till five. I'm going to pray till five o'clock in tongues. I'm not going to stop. And then you go 15. See, that's training. That's taking the spirit man and training the soul man and training the flesh. And pretty soon it'll get to be where it's no problem to pray an hour. No problem. No problem. Uh, Most of you probably aren't there, but it'll get to the point where you don't even keep track of time and you could literally pray in tongues all day. Until you get to the point, like I heard uh, uh, Kenneth Copeland's mother, they said about her that she literally prayed in tongues in her sleep. And you get to the point you say, well, that didn't embarrass me. Well, you get to the point where it don't. You get to the point where you know people in the car next to you are looking at you because you're just like, you're jabbering up a storm and you don't even care. It's like you want to tell them you ought to get a life, you know. I, don't, I just don't even pay any attention to them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't care what they think. I don't care if they think I'm crazy. I think they are. For going to bars and living in sin and having stupid... Things on their license plates and and stupid bumper stickers and I do I think they're crazy. I think they're crazy because they don't come to church. People are crazy that don't go to church. People are cra- they're crazy. They are devil crazed. They are the devil has crazed their minds. They are crazed. It is ludicrous. You try to raise kids in this world and not go to church. Oh my God. You ought to be able to turn on the TV and just listen to how many kids murdered their parents last year and figure out, i got to get these little kids somewhere. i got to take them somewhere for somebody to do something with. Hallelujah. You say, oh, that couldn't happen in my house. Well, it's happening to people that never dreamed it would happen. Happening to just seemingly normal folk in Alabama. Every day we hear it on the news. Every day. Every day somebody murdered their grandmother or their 
It don't even take a rocket scientist to know I got to get to church. I got to get these kids under the word. I got to keep them under the word. Hallelujah. They got to go to church. Amen. Your spirit cannot sin. It's been sealed. Sin does not penetrate in your spirit. If you try to tie God's acceptance as of you to your performance, you will always come short and your conscience will condemn you. Or you will be so puffed up in your own self-righteousness that you will be full of pride and can't even see the sin you are in. Amen. The purity, the holiness you were born again with stays with you. Your spirit retains its holiness. Now Hebrews 9.12, let's look at this. Hebrews 9.12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once, say once, once. into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He didn't obtain a redemption for you that would last a little while. No, he obtained eternal redemption for you. Say, I have, I have eternal, eternal redemption. redemption. Amen. Isn't that good news? Now that is good news. And I'm telling you, this is nearly too good to be true news. If you want people not to sin, you teach them they're righteous. If you preach the law, the strength of sin is the law. If you preach the law, people will sin. If you preach condemnation, people will sin. If you preach you're free and you preach you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it makes us want to live righteously. Verse 15, For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Oh, hallelujah, we have eternal inheritance. So we don't have to walk around worrying about our salvation every day. We're saved. Hallelujah. We're holy. We're righteous. Hallelujah. And if we do sin, we have an advocate. Amen. If we miss the mark, if we mess up, 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Where is He cleansing you from the unrighteousness? In your spirit? No, He don't need to cleanse your spirit. He's cleansing your soul. He's washing your soul. Hallelujah. So that you're not why? So you won't walk under condemnation. And also so that you won't come into that inheritance. You won't reap what you sow. You won't come under any judgment for your sin because we're going to reap what we sow. So what about falling from grace? Let's turn to Hebrews 6 verse 4. I don't even know who preaches this. I couldn't tell you, but you're going to sin away your day of grace. There's no scriptures that says you're going to sin away your day of grace. Hebrews 6 verse 4. It says, for it is impossible, say impossible, impossible. for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now this is very interesting scriptures. And so we've got to investigate and see what he means here. First of all, we have to recognize that whatever he's talking about here, he's not talking about a baby Christian here. Because let's look at the description he gives. He said it's impossible for those who were once enlightened. Enlightened means the Greek word is illuminated. It means they have revelation. 
They have revelation of having been born again. They understand the new birth. They understand the things of the Spirit. They have a revelation about it. And then he says, they've tasted of the heavenly gift. Well, the heavenly gift is Jesus. And so they have been saved and they've tasted of the heavenly gift. They know Jesus. And then they were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That means they've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. So we can see this is not just a little baby nominal Christian. To be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And they've spoken in tongues. And then they've tasted the good word of God. The good word of God, they've tasted the meat of the word of God. They have understanding in the word of God. You can see this is not just any ordinary Christian. And they have also tasted the powers of the world to come. The powers of the world to come are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So these folks they're talking about here is somebody that's born again. They have revelation about it. They have understanding concerning how they received Jesus, that they believed in their heart, confessed with their mouth. They understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so they've experienced or tasted that. They have tasted the heavenly gift, Jesus. They know what it's like to be brought from darkness to light. They know they were born again. They know they had Jesus in their heart. The Holy Spirit had come and indwelt them. They've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and they know it. And they've spoken with other tongues. They've experienced the gift of the Spirit and they've tasted of the good Word of God. I mean they've tasted. You know there was a time in my life when I'd heard preaching but I hadn't tasted of the good Word of God. You know, I didn't know the Word of God was good. I didn't know. Oh, I tell you, that's one of the things when we got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, we fell in love with the Word. We carried our Bible. If we went shopping, we took our Bibles with us. Because we was just liable to read scriptures anywhere. I mean, we had our Bibles everywhere we went. We went camping. And we're sitting out in front of the camper. I've got pictures of it I could show you. And we're sitting on a log. And what do we got? We got the Bible open. Because why? We have just found and tasted the good Word of God. Now we're going somewhere. Before we was just saved. But we were ignorant of all these things. But this is so this is talking about somebody that this person's been somewhere and they know it. And then it goes on to say, if they shall fall away, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Now that word fall away is not backslide. It does not mean backslide. It does not mean fall into sin. It is the Greek word apostatize. If they shall apostatize, which means abandon your faith, if they shall renounce it all. Now, I can't even imagine why somebody would want to. You would have to be deceived. It's like that thing where you don't dominate the flesh. And you start out here and it's not a big thing, but all of a sudden you do it again and all of a sudden you're not dominating your flesh and you don't mean to get to a place, but you come to a place where you renounce Jesus and say, I don't want Him in my life. I don't want anything to do with Him. I renounce this. And He says there, it's impossible if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. That means to reverse it. It's impossible to reverse it once they renounce it. Why? Because Jesus would have to be re-crucified. So here's the thing. You're not going to lose your salvation, folks. But if you ever get to the point where you renounce it, we talked last week we had the potato and the banana and how you can't be potato, banana, potato, banana, potato, banana. But I'm telling you, if you ever go back, you're not coming back again. It's over. It's over. It's over. It's impossible, he says, because Jesus would have to be re-crucified, and he's not going to be. We have a clue for all this in Jude verse 3. 
Now, we can all tell that this is not talking about a baby Christian. Oh, there's been lots of baby Christians shake their fist in God's face. There's been lots of baby Christians curse God. Their mother died. Their brother died. They didn't understand. They thought it wasn't fair. God, where were you? I prayed. And they don't know. They don't understand. They don't see. They don't know the laws of sowing and reaping. They don't know that life and death is in the power of the tongue. They don't know any of those things. So they're mad at God and they curse God. It's not talking about a little baby Christian that don't understand cursing God in their emotions. That's just their head talking. That's just their emotions. They're just upset. They're just hurt. Hallelujah. Just like you got upset and said ugly things to your husband. It was just your head talking. You may have even said, oh, I hate you to your husband. None of you in here would do that. But I tell you, there's been lots of Christian women say, oh, I hate you. I'm, lots of kids told their parents, oh, I hate you. Hallelujah. Because they were so mad because you wouldn't let them have a snow cone. I mean, you know, just the littlest thing. We can just get over there and our emotions just all flare up. Well, a lot of baby Christians have done that. And then they fell under condemnation. Well, I sinned the unpardonable sin and, and I'm going to go to hell now. Well, no, you're not going to go to hell when you do that. Because he says, this is a decision. This is a decision to renounce the faith. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. This is a decision that somebody would make. And I've never known anybody to do this, but Brother Hagen talks on his tapes about a few people that he knew that literally did this. In his ministry, he met a few down through the years. One was a pastor's wife. Jude 3, here's a big clue to this verse. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's a big clue right there. This is not talking about being upset and cursing God and God I'm mad at you I hate you this is not talking about that there's going to be a lot of people that cursed God and they thought they lost their salvation and they never went back to church they never went back to God and they're going to wake up one morning and be in heaven they're going to be going my word I didn't think I was going here <laughs> hallelujah like brother Hagin said you can get to heaven they're going to be surprised at who's there and then you're going to be surprised at some that aren't there some people are going to be surprised they're there. There's people all over that got surprised that they were there because they got mad at God and they walked away and they hadn't been blessed God. They hadn't entered the church door since and they hadn't prayed since because why they got mad because their wife died or something to that effect. They're hurt. They're wounded. And they thought they committed the unpardonable sin and nobody had sense enough to tell them they didn't. They hadn't been taught right. They didn't have the right foundation. And they weren't mature and didn't have a renewed mind or they wouldn't have cursed God to start with. They wouldn't have blamed God. Yeah. Amen. But here's the clue. Denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins that would imply you can't be forgiven. But you get a big mistake if you read one verse here and stop. You have to read the whole context and people take this one thing and say, oh, if you sin willfully after you know that that's sin, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Well, that can't be true because that means that nobody could ever be forgiven of adultery because I don't know anybody that commits adultery don't know that's wrong. You know even the world knows that's wrong. 
You know, I've watched enough Oprah to know that I've flipped it on enough times to here's how the world thinks. Shack up with anybody you want to before you're married. But once you're married, you be faithful. That's how the world thinks. They, even the world says you ought to be faithful if you're married. Now, they don't always do it, but they think you ought to be. They don't care what you do for you're married. You can live like an alley cat. You know, they think that's okay. The world does. But boy, even the world knows it's wrong. You be faithful once you're married. So that means nobody could ever be forgiven of adultery. So we got to read the whole passage, don't we? Verse 26. We read that. Let's read 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot. Now this is the sin it's talking about. That you can't be forgiven. Who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So we have here three conditions to have met this sin that you cannot be forgiven of. It's actually called the sin unto death. So that verse is talking about a specific kind of sin. And it says, you've trodden underfoot the Son of God. That means in the Greek, reject with disdain. To reject the Son of God with disdain. Counted the blood of the covenant as unholy. In other words, you literally say the blood of Jesus is unholy. Call it defiled, unclean. It's common. It's not a holy thing. That blood stuff, it's nothing. That'd be dangerous. After you've been enlightened and know, and done despite unto the Holy Spirit. Or in other words, to insult or despise the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul was warning the Jews here because they had gotten saved and they were being tempted and even beyond temptation, they were being pressured. They were being pressured by Jews that had not been saved to turn back, to deny everything, to go back to Judaism. And he's warning them. If you tread this underfoot, to trodden underfoot the Son of God, if you count this blood as an unholy thing, and if you do despite to the Holy Ghost, he said, you can't be forgiven of this. It's all over. Man, it's all over. So here's the strong warning that Paul was giving. He was saying, you know what? Salvation works once for everybody. It works one time for everybody, but it doesn't work twice for anybody. You get it once, you get to keep it, but don't ever renounce it or you can't have it back. 1 John 5. See, it's so easy. It's so simple. Hallelujah. We're, we are. We do have the security of the believer. We always heard that all my life. The security of the believer. We're secure. We have eternal salvation, but we can renounce it and, and fall away and never be able to come back. Well, most people that walk that aisle to get saved again, they hadn't lost their salvation. They just messed up and got under condemnation. They just need their mind renewed. Well, somebody needs to sit down and teach them, no, you didn't lose your salvation. Hallelujah. Praise God. Just ask God to forgive you. First John 5, verse 16. Y'all know that. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death. So it's not that one where he renounced it and cursed the blood. and Okay, it's not unto death. He shall ask... And he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. 
There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. So he's saying, this is really interesting. This is really good. He's telling us is that we can pull judgment. We can keep people from reaping what they sow. For a season, we can do it. We see our brother sinning, and it's not that sin unto death. We can pray, and what will happen? They won't reap what they sow. God will protect them, because if they reap what they sow, they're not under any protection. They can drive down the highway and an 18-wheeler run over them, because they're not under protection. When things like that start going wrong, our protection has slipped somewhat. You know, when we fall off the ladder and break our leg, we ought to judge ourselves. And we fall off the ladder and we didn't break our leg. We ought to judge ourselves. Don't just say, praise God, the angels kept me. Well, how come you were able to fall off the ladder? You're not supposed to be able to even fall off of it. I'm telling you, we're supposed to be in that place. Hallelujah. And so maybe our confession slipped. Maybe we've been saying something we shouldn't say. Or maybe we've quit saying. We maybe not didn't say anything we shouldn't say, but we quit saying you know, that's a big thing, just to quit saying. Quit saying of the Lord. Been too busy, hadn't been in the scriptures. Hadn't been in that Psalm 91, getting that bloodline around us. Amen? Hallelujah. Or we could be in sin. Because sin, when we get into sin, we're on the devil's territory. Or, here's another one, out of God's will. Brother Hagin said he never got sick in all those years, except when he got out of God's will. Remember when he fell and broke his arm in El Paso, Texas? Fell on the stage, fell over, jumped up on the stage preaching. That was back when we didn't have cassette tapes. Somebody had a recorder right there, and it was brand new, and he saw it right as his foot was going to go in the middle of it, and he tried to miss it and fell and cracked his arm. It was sprained, but they had to take him to surgery and put him to sleep to put it back because it was all, the ligaments were all out of whack or whatever. And Jesus walked down the hall of the hospital, came in his room and said, you didn't do what I told you. Now, the more we mature in God, the more accountable we are, that's going to bring us out of divine protection. So there's that sin that's not unto death where we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see them in sin. I'll just say this. I wouldn't sin counting on it, though. Well, I'm going to go ahead and sin. And somebody will pray. You know what the Lord told me? This is something. You know, people can be blinded at, to the will of God. and They can be out of God's will and maybe they don't know it. But everybody else can tell it. You know, usually everybody else can tell it and you can't, you know. And so let's just say the saints over here, we'll say Miss Betty and Miss... Uh, Gene, they get on it. Man, they're in their prayer closet and they're praying. And they're praying God will show you and you'll see it. And he does. Because oh. he answers our prayers, don't he? And he shows them and they see it. If you've seen it, don't pretend you hadn't seen it. If you've seen it, you're going to be judged if you stay in it. That's what he told me. If you stay in it once you've seen it, once you've seen it and you go, I know this wasn't God's best for me. This is not where I'm supposed to be. I know we got some friends right now that they missed it. They missed the will of God five years ago or so. I don't know if it's been that long, quite a while ago. And they missed it. 
And boy, I tell you, it has just not been well. It has been confusion at their house. Just nothing has gone right, and they're just not happy. They're not satisfied. They're not fulfilled. They're not even where they used to be spiritually. And then confusion sets in, and finances are not bad. And they're just, you know, they're just in turmoil, and things are not right. But now they see it where they missed it. And they even see that God's made an opportunity to get back on track and to fix it. And they're right there at that crossroads right now. They're right there. And these are dear friends of ours, and they're right there at that crossroad where they can fix it. But it's going to mean they have to stand up to some folks like their family. And some folks aren't going to be real happy with some changes that it's going to take. But you know what? If they don't fix it, they've seen it now. They didn't see it at first. They didn't know. They got off. They didn't mean to get off. They just got off. You know, they weren't trying to be bad. They just got off in the will of God. And then they didn't see it, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong, but now they see it. People prayed, and now they, and they prayed. They're prayers, and they've been praying, and now they see it. And now if they don't fix it, they're in trouble, I can tell you. It won't be well. But you can't make people do right. All we can do is pray. Amen? And we can judge ourselves. And it ought to be your greatest desire to be in the perfect will of God.